One of the biggest aha moments of my career was discovering that I wasn't actually in the food and beverage industry. I was in the inventory management business. And the easiest way to make more money wasn't one-off events or nightly specials. It was optimizing my seating inventory on peak. More butts in seats is more money today. And here's how you get it. Yelp for Restaurants guest manager waitlist functionality empowers your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave their house. It provides accurate wait times and automatically notifies diners right before their table is ready. This dramatically reduces turn times, enabling you to handle more volume. Learn more about how this powerful tool can optimize your seating inventory today at restaurants.yelp.com. Now here... We go. We're not desiring to be superstars in the culinary industry. Maybe about one out of every 100 looks at this as their career like I have and wants to really be explosive and dedicate their life and is tireless in some ways in the way that I am. And the only thing that it seems like keeps me going is when I see the spirit of people that are still really enthused to learn and that want to grow within this career. So if anything keeps me up at night, it's wondering how are we going to propagate that level of inspiration that I have still. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. I've always looked at the big restaurant groups out there with envy. How amazing must it be to own six or eight or 20 locations? I've always wondered, at what point do you get rich? At what point do you go from being the backup dishwasher to the brand evangelist? Chef Lisa Dahl has grasped the brass ring. Over the last two decades, she's built a restaurant empire. And in today's conversation, we look back on what got her to where she is today and where she's headed next. I took my love of cooking when I began my first restaurant and I stayed with what my wheelhouse was when I had been a good home cook a good chef at home or doing catered parties. Mind you, that was not my profession then. But I took the applicable approach of taking the things that I made that were my specialties, still are to this day, and I just kind of grew with the popularity. (laughs) But it wasn't absent-minded. It was literally driven by the increasing volume And now I take that same approach. I'm getting ready to go to a next level that I have a distribution opportunity with Cisco to take my sauces and some of my core items into a co-packer. And then they will distribute my products through their regional salespeople. Now that It's a golden opportunity. I don't have to tell you. I'm just embarking on that, taking the original formulas that used to be, I'll be honest with you, make it through my rote process.
process, I'm the first to admit it, that will kick you in the ass. You have to have the recipes nailed down. I can tell you examples of how that can really come to bite you if you don't. Here I am, 27 years later, getting an opportunity to see my things, my products, hopefully start to go into other restaurant kitchens and hopefully begin to hit retail shelves if that is that next evolution. But that can't be done without adhering to strict measurements, the miscellaneous things that you need to always have in a recipe because you have different viscosities, you have different things in production that have to be kept within the methodology. But if you don't have the recipes nailed down, you can't get your proper costing, you can't get your volume assessments and all the things that now I'm having to do and have this great opportunity, but it took over 25 years to get to that point. I taught my original sous chef, who is a production chef, basically a wonderful saucier. I taught her all my recipes. I thought we'd live forever. <laughs> she would work with me forever. She would never have any issues. This is a funny story, but it's not totally funny. You'll get it as a restaurateur chef yourself. She guarded my recipes because she never trusted anyone to make those foundational recipes except for her or me or the person here and there that we really trusted. That is not the way we do things anymore. By her doing that, it was a very protective and very sweet gesture because she didn't want anyone to bastardize the recipe, correct? Sure. But guess what? Tomorrow she goes into a rotator cuff surgery. Prognosis, four to six months away. Yeah. Guess what? She did not download to her assistance. We have grown much bigger than we were back then, but she still produces sauces and soups, dressings, meatballs, all kinds of wonderful things to one of our other restaurants called Pizza Just by her not sharing her wealth of experience and letting another designated person or two do it, here I'm going to be making those things again in a kitchen because of that way of being overly protective and not adhering to a guideline of the recipe and methodology. She's perfect, but now she'll be gone. Right. So you get how that kind of thing, if you're still in a smaller minded, uh, let me say a will live forever, nothing's ever going to happen to anyone, that can stop the wheels of progress. And so it's interesting how I've learned so much, but in the last few years, I have changed the way I look at things. And it's hard in a smaller town because you're not in LA, you're not in Phoenix, you're not in bigger areas with tons of talent that you can teach and trust. So we've done remarkable when you really consider that quite honestly, we became one big 
mom and pop. So there are some people that start out and that's their vision, right? Their vision is to get absolutely massive. But then, you know, you look back to 1995 when you started this process and it took, what, about eight years to open your second location? It actually did. Thank you for paying attention to that part, because a lot of people think here that I just wanted to take over the town. It didn't happen like that. It happened like that through organic growth and need to expand to be able to accommodate progress. Dalenti Luca Ristorante Italiano is 27 years old. I just received the ranking Arizona. We're in the top four Italian restaurants in the state of Arizona. Mind you, Arizona and let's say Phoenix is the fourth largest restaurant demographic in the country. We are two hours outside of Phoenix. Our original Italian restaurant is still kicking ass. It was just awarded in the top 100 most romantic dining destinations by open table. It's like it's a reborn preacher that is still hard to get into. It's still really outrageously popular and will become more and more. But who would have ever thought back then that I'd have six restaurants and how that would evolve? Well, Cucina Rustica came about because at we call it D&D. D&D wasn't large enough to do parties without a complete buyout. And it became so popular back in the late 90s that it created a happening hub of activities of almost like a cult following. As we grew and I found the location across town, which is really only about 20 minutes unless there's tourism, and then it can become an hour and 20 minutes. Quite a beautiful drive, though, not like the 405, mind you. Uh, <laughs> but then again, it was kind of a visionary thing because everyone back then thought I was crazy to want to put a restaurant in the other part of town, which I saw as the gateway to Sedona. It's so beautiful coming in from the south, uh, Phoenix or wherever guests come in from the airport, whatever. No one was staying out there back then. It was beautiful, but it was pretty much just some local housing, not a whole lot of residential, but it wasn't where the out-of-town travelers wanted to be. They still wanted to be in West Sedona. Now, that restaurant, Cucina Rustica, will be 20 years old in June, and it's twice the size, if not three times, in seating of my original D&D. So I did that because I thought, well, we can spread out, we can do parties, we can do events. And that is what our mainstay was, along with having a robust clientele that loved it out there now because the hiking is beautiful, mountain biking, the trails are spectacular. It's just gorgeous in the area of where I'm mentioning, which is called the Village of Oak Creek in Sedona. That business pretty much went away during COVID. There were no events. There were no requests for parties, or if they were, they were unrealistic for us to be able to do. So we were basically saying no, no, no to the events, but the events were what were keeping us alive prior to COVID. 
So now we're starting to open up to those type of events. But like everybody else is suffering, we don't have enough staff that's qualified to really take on every large event that we could. And who knows what's going to happen in the near future. We're building our employee base again, and we have the numbers. We have over 350 employees, but many of them are new in the business and they haven't been trained all the way. So we're getting ready for another leap of hiring people to help us keep the culture of what we started and evolve that and grow and keep it going. How do you lure new talent? I mean, lure is a terrible word to use. Yeah, how to lure new talent into the industry. What it sounds like is exactly what we're all trying to do, right? But it seems like, in my mind, and we've both been doing this a long time, the, the culture of the industry has become incompatible with the culture of modern society or the youth. When I got into this, like you worked hard to work hard. Like that was it. You got into this. If you're working 50 hours a week, that was a part-time job and good for you. <laughs> you know, exactly. that was the nature of the beast. Now you turn to people and they want work-life balance and livable wages and God bless them. We all do, but we've never really had that ourselves. So it's hard to give to other people. And so there's like this grand God willing, reimagining of the industry so that it meets the needs of our existing customer base while meeting the needs of a very new, like, employee roster. How are you reconciling that with your brands? I want to make sure that your listeners also understand that being in a small town that draws on a level of a big city demographic is an imbalance to begin with. Right. I don't want to sound like a victim, but I realized early on that finding tons of talent and motivated people was not going to be my slice of the pie. We were a town of about 12,000 people. We're now gone down to about 9,000 in terms wow. of local residents. That's a subject unto itself why that happened. But in saying that, were not bursting with culinary enthusiasm. People weren't dying to, uh, it's before Food Network, before any of these type of social media, all of these things that now have sensationalized being a chef were not happening then. And in my town, mostly everyone worked two jobs. If they were in the kitchen, they were coming to my restaurants as their second job much of the time. Now imagine that. We're opening at five back in the day because we're dinner houses. So they're coming and they're all sleepy. I didn't like, give me a break. So there was always this, we're doing you a favor kind of thing. It still has that. I have a major, a major steak and seafood grill. It's called Mariposa. Do you know that most of my line cooks do not get into the kitchen till four o'clock? Wow. Talk about issues. So that means that I have to shift the entire mentality of the daytime crew 
to be able to bleed over to do many of the setups that in a normal restaurant would be done by the very people that are on the line. Even that logistic with a restaurant that does 350 covers or so at night daily is a very big disparity in keeping the quality control and all of the things that are needed. But I could not get those evening chefs to not have a second job unless I could afford to put everybody on salary, right? Right. Try to figure that one out financially. In saying that, that's just a small microcosm of issues that have always been variables that I've dealt with almost from day one. Now, talk about keeping the culture alive and what you're saying with the new type of employee base that many were not desiring to be superstars in the culinary industry. Maybe about one out of every 100 looks at this as their career like I have and wants to really be explosive and dedicate their life and is tireless in some ways in the way that I am. And the only thing that it seems like keeps me going is when I see the spirit of people that are still really enthused to learn and that want to grow within this career. So if anything keeps me up at night, it's wondering how are we going to propagate that level of inspiration that I have still, but that I'm seeing is kind of dying off. And they're out there, but in a smaller town, it's hard to find those people because They want to be in L.A., Phoenix, Scottsdale, wherever that might be, If especially in our area. It doesn't mean I've given up, but it means I have to work harder. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps every day. And what I've been doing lately, and I've been very blessed, I've had a lot of great culinary events. And I was just at the Palm Desert Food and Wine and I really found that it gave me quite a shot in my arm because the guests are still into it. Mm -hmm. The people that we're teaching, meaning our clientele, our customers, the audience is still engaged. It's finding the people that are working for the right reasons. And what's the right reason? Quite honestly, is to bring joy to others outside of ourselves through fantastic dining experiences. So it's hard to articulate all how that feeds together because it's a really big dynamic. So when we think about labor, typically we think about labor as an expense, right? So you talk about bringing in a GM and, well, we could probably get them at 65. Would they be really inspired at 75? We get this other guy that's at 85 and he's got great experience and a great attitude, but can we really afford it? And it seems like for folks like yourself and many of the visionaries in our industry, the conversation has changed and labor isn't seen as an expense anymore. It's seen as an investment. And so the question isn't, can I afford this human? It's, can I afford to not have this human working with me? Talk to me about how that transition occurred in your career. I always wanted to afford the best, but I always was told by 
certain people, you can't afford it, you can't afford it. Same. And just like you're saying, you can't not afford it. But let me assure you that you must get what you pay for. That's a very tricky question because it seems easy to just say you got to rise to that occasion. But I have heard many stories with lots of people and experienced it myself that sometimes the most expensive salaries that I have tried to justify ended up hurting me more than I can yeah. even tell you. And I got some more stories if you ever want to get into that part because <laughs> through this last few years, I had my heart broken a few times. Mm -hmm. See, I'm almost getting emotional. I can't even tell you how important it is to make people live up to the job description of the expectation of what you're willing to pay for. I was unrealistic. I was more romanticizing people's backgrounds, in some cases, their resumes, rather than really using my intuition and being willing to say, hey, this doesn't feel good. They're jerking me around here because they're really not going to be as devoted to hospitality or as devoted to culinary as they appear because they were good actors. Now I'm using my intuitive process. I'm trying to look at it through a different way of what's happened through my experiences. As we all know, we're paying so much more for our hourly. And that in itself might not even end up being sustainable. In the end of this deal that we're going through, can we continue to pay people 22 to $24 an hour entry level that was not so long ago, 14 to 16? Prep people, they're $24 an hour. They don't chop a pepper any different than the ones that were 14 <laughs> to 16. Capito, capito. But the upper management that I'm talking to these days, such as the gentleman I'm hoping is going to start working with me. He's here right now. And he is a different type of person. He has run his own small businesses. He is a person that is so diverse. He is Psalm. He's FNB. He's an educator. He has worked within the culinary as a culinary professional in one particular job for over eight years in the industry. He has a wide spectrum of desirable qualifications, but he has a personality and a spirit and a joie de vie similar to mine. And I have not totally negotiated his salary yet. We're going to be doing that today. But the bottom line is, I already know that I will get a bigger bang for the buck because he is going to motivate people. He is going to help to retain employees because they're going to want to work around him. Charisma is a biggie. The first thing I thought when I met him is not only do I love his charisma, kind of reminds me of mine, but I can't be in all places at all times. Am I okay to let somebody else have a piece of that wonderful action? That's what keeps us going is that inner 
connectivity with other people. That's why we're addicted to this industry. And I think I'd rather have a person with his qualifications, even if it costs me more, than three others that don't have all that person can bring to the table. Now, in this last six months, I have invested in my company in a way that we did not access as well as we are now. And I'll tell you how I've done some, I would call it like corporate boot camp. We have reached out working with people that are freelance. They're consultants of sorts, but they're still got skin in the game in helping us to improve our P&Ls. They are training my general managers to know what a P&L is really about and how that's going to benefit them in terms of making more money, but still keeping the pride of doing it for the right reasons, but seeing that they have growth potential within our company. I've also been working with brilliant people from the Bay Area that are helping us with our financial wherewithal and keeping our prime cost as they should be and educating. I've also hired a new HR to who is not living in Sedona, but comes several times a week and works with all of my GMs, helping them to problem solve. The investments I'm making now are very big compared to getting bit players in these positions. But my sense of this decision is that if I want us to stick around, we better be profitable, not just blowing up our skirts because we know how to bring people in the doors. We know how to bring people in the doors. Thank goodness. Many businesses do not have that in their wheelhouse. We know how to do that. But guess what? That's what I always thought was the smartest mode of operandi. How many covers you do? How many dollars? How much is your cover average? I had to learn some critical lessons in this last couple of years. And I started to understand how labor screws the pooch if it's out of balance. And you can be doing 350 covers, but you could not be making a dime right? if you don't know what your ass from the hole in the ground. And What I'm getting, that epiphany, the light bulb going off, is so fascinating. But you have to trust the people to know how to shrink the labor in an intelligent way. Because if people just want to, like, get the hell out of the restaurant, they start to close the doors early. Oh, we're not going to do any business. That negative attitude is also a deal killer. So it's finding the balance of educating the people that you want running the show to care, to have the understanding of, I mean, we're growing a new business right now. Our second pizzeria in the other side of town. Now I have three in what is called the village of Oak Creek, which is, as I had mentioned earlier, the gateway. I'm working with all my hotel partners around to keep that stimulation of Hey, walk to our restaurants. 
you don't need to drive across town in the middle of the madness. We were in March madness. No, we're in April madness. It's worse than, it's not worse, but it's more challenging. But continue to try to find better help that's got more excitement, smiles at the door, welcoming people in the kitchen that love what they do, but one talented person is better than three kind of loafing type of people that don't even want to do anything when we're not busy. It's all about the productivity, the inspiration. And if you don't have the right GMs, assistant GMs, you're fighting a lost cause. So in essence, you do get what you pay for, but that doesn't mean that if you don't keep them inspired, keep them knowing that they are growing because the cost of living is so high. I just read the statistics. I don't read our local newspaper because I never have time, but I was in the coffee shop and I started looking at what has happened in Sedona, which has become one of the most expensive markets because the supply and demand are out of whack. There isn't housing, affordable housing for the people that we need to attract to be able to live in the vicinity of where the businesses are. And that creates another wave of disparity. It all matters when you're in a community. You have to think about people being able to keep the balance of their life without it getting to be an entitlement that is the tail wagging the dog or the dog wagging the tail. So it's interesting times. I have to say more than ever, I'm learning to give myself a little pat on the back because we're still in there. We're still making people jump out of their skins with joy with the quality of our food and their dining experiences. And that still matters to me. And so it ain't over till the fat lady sinks, as they say. <laughs> Our industry suffers from razor thin margins. And the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data driven decisions. The numbers don't lie. And Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager and Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com to learn more today. That's Chef Lisa Dahl. For more information on the chef and her restaurant group, visit dollrestaurantgroup.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.